And again, good morning, everyone. I'm happy to see you here today. And let me ask you a question. Are you suffering this morning from what feels like an irretrievable loss? In the fall of 2020, my parents sold the house that I grew up in. And it was 514 26th Street. And to be honest, I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time, but I was surprised by how much it actually ended up impacting me, just making me sad. And I remember putting that house up on Facebook, and I started thinking about all the memories that I had in that house. I mean, the celebrations, the birthdays, the holidays. My cousins had their wedding showers uh, in that house. And then I had some friends that started chiming in. You know, I'd, again, I'd put it up there on Facebook to uh, help my parents sell the house. And some of my friends were like, well, your parents aren't selling that house, are they? We've got a lot of good memories there. There were slumber parties. We had, you had some church events there. We used to hang out there. My buddies and I all the time. And there had to be an acknowledgement that that time was over. It was over, and it wasn't going to come back again. There are other losses that go much deeper. Some of you are grieving what's gone. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a relationship that's estranged, and you don't think it's ever going to be back. If it does, it won't be like it was before. And maybe you're grieving something that you never, ever had. You know, there are people who are living faithfully for Christ saying, I'm not going to marry someone who doesn't share the same faith that I do. At the same time, there are people who are currently in marriages that are thinking, this is a bad marriage, but for the time I'm staying in it, there are couples out there who are desperately wanting to have a child and have not experienced pregnancy, and there's a question in their mind. Will I ever know the joy of a marriage? Will I ever know the joy of a good marriage? Will I ever know the joy of being able to have a pregnancy and having a child? Will I never know the joy of fill in the blank? Does our faith have a bearing on that grief and pain? Does the resurrection of Christ and the cross have relevance in these hurtful, painful areas in our lives. And the question I want to ask this morning is, how does the resurrection of Jesus help me today? How does it help me today endure the loss or even to endure the loss and the joy that I really don't even know? The passage I want to look at this morning comes from John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we'll start at verse 16, we'll work our way down through verse 24 of that chapter. John 16, verses 16 through 24. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, starting at John 16, 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? 
In a little while, my clicker will start working again. <laughs> Let me read it off the page. Starting at verse, uh, verse 18. Uh, we do not know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked me nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. You may be seated. So we continue through the book of John talking about a living hope. You know, I can offer you no other hope in this life outside of Jesus Christ. It is only by Jesus Christ that we can continue in hope. And I want to also read that passage that we keep reading every week. And I told the first service, one of these days... I'm only going to put the reference up there, and we're going to have to recite the verse from memory. But I want to keep going through this verse because it's the reason that this book was written. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Please read along with me. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And this morning I'd like to approach our topic like this. First of all, we'll talk about the sorrow of this world. God knows sorrow. And then secondly, we'll talk about the joy that God gives. And then finally, we'll talk about three necessities of having this joy, the joy that comes up in this passage. And whenever I'm facing doubt and despair, these are what I'm calling three necessities to know the kind of joy that Christ is talking about here. So let's start with the sorrow. That's our first point. And the life in this world, the life that we have to live means that we're going to have sorrow. And I want to look at this text, but, but first let's go backwards. So remember where we are. Christ is in the upper room with his disciples. He's washed their feet. Judas has ran out of the room. He's out fetching the guards. They're going to be showing up to the Garden of Gethsemane in just a few hours. Jesus promised them that a helper is going to come, but they're going to be hated. They're going to be hated because he was hated. And now he's preparing them. And there's a lot of repetition going on. As a matter of fact, if things sound a little repetitive, there's a reason for that. The text is being repetitive. And Jesus is saying to them again and again, this is what you need to know. That's why every week I'm telling you, this is what we need to know, what we need to understand. Christ is going to be leaving them. And the disciples don't get it. You know, he's talking this language, you'll see me uh, in a little while, and, and then you won't see me, and, and they're confused. Well, what does he mean? There's confusion all around them. What is this little while business? It sounds like a vanishing act. I'm going to disappear. I'll be back again. 
then I'll ascend to the Father. And they'll be very explicit about their feelings. Look at verse 18. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Now, is Jesus like intentionally messing with them here? You know, just to throw them off balance. Well, no, I don't think that's what's happening at all. He's being honest about what's going to happen. He's saying, look, I'm going to die, and then I'll be resurrected. I'll come back to life. I'll see you all again for a little while, and then I'm going to ascend and go to the Father. Dead a little while, resurrected a little while, ascend to the Father. That's what he's, he's saying. That he's been telling them along, all along he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. And verse 19 reveals that he knows what they want to ask him. What did he mean by all this? And he talks more about the reactions of the disciples and the world. Look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I know you're going to be sorrowful. I know you're going to be sorry. At any time Christ starts out by saying truly, truly, or truly I say to you, you know that something very solemn is going to follow. And he said that you're going to mourn and you're going to weep, but look at the reaction of the world. They're going to rejoice. Why is that? Because of the perception of the world, somebody unrighteous has been hanged on a cross because they didn't believe who Jesus was and he said he was God. They're saying, no, this is a heretic that's been crucified. And they're rejoicing. This unrighteous man. The disciples are going to witness his torture and his death. Again, Judas has left the room. And in just a few hours, they'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane together praying. And then Jesus is going to be nailed to a cross. And he knows their sorrow. Jesus is no foreigner to pain. He knows hurt. And even though he was God, remember, he took on full humanity. And in that humanity, he felt the pain and sorrow of what it means to be a human being. Look at uh, Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Remember, Jesus was tempted by Satan. Satan tried to say, look, you're on, a, you're on a horrible road, Jesus. I could give you all the power and the wealth and the riches. And you could just forget about this, this road you're on. And Jesus said, no way. But he endured the temptation. He endured the pain. He endured the hardship. And never gave up on his father. And he knows your sorrow. What's quickly turning into one of my favorite books. Uh, I was just reintroduced to this book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, it's Christ describing himself as gentle and lowly, written by uh, Ortland. He describes Jesus in light of his earthly life. Now listen to this description of Jesus as he lived his life on earth. The author says he was a sinless man, not a sinless superman. He woke up with bedhead. He had pimples at 13. He never would have appeared on the cover of men's health. Isaiah 53, uh, 2 tells us he had no beauty that we should desire him. 
He became as a normal man to normal men. He knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, ashamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. His friends abandoned him when he needed them most. And had he lived today, listen to this, had he lived today, every single follower and friend that he would have had on Twitter and Facebook would have unfriended him by the age of 33. And yet, he is the one who will never unfriend us. You see, he knows your sorrows more than you and I are ever going to comprehend. And if you're here today and you feel that way, you've been betrayed by someone, if you're estranged from a loved one, you're not alone in that. Christ knows your sorrow. He's felt it. He's experienced it. But Jesus doesn't expect us to live a life of hopelessness just because we experience sorrow. The opposite of joy is despair. And Christ has no intentions of leaving us in a place of despair, that there's no hope. See, the resurrection of Jesus will mean something different. That's what it brings is hope. And I want to talk now about the joy God gives. He knows the sorrow you have. Now, let's talk about the joy he gives. Jesus said at the end of verse 20, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That contrast between sorrow and joy of the disciples, he's going to focus on that in these next verses. Look at how Jesus illustrates his death and resurrection. Verse 21, he says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. That's a statement about intense, intense pain followed by instantaneous joy or relief. And both are real, the pain and the sorrow as well as the joy. So if you've ever been on an elk hunt, I'm looking forward to that day, it hasn't come yet. But if you've been on one and you've marched around those woods hour after hour, maybe the snow is falling, you're wondering if you're getting frostbite. And you've thought, well, this has been an exercise in misery and futility. And then the moment you least expect it, there he, there he is. That great big bull bugling and snorting. And all of a sudden, it was all worth it. Or maybe you spent all day in that boat or that kayak and it's been boiling hot or it's been raining. And you've thought, is there a single fish in this lake or this stream or this pond? And then there it is. That big rainbow. That big brown, that big brookie, whatever it is you are fishing for. Now, the reason I'm having to bring this, gentlemen, is because we don't know fully the joy that this verse is talking about. This past week, I went on a, a, uh, a retreat, uh, a conference, a staff. We all went down to Colorado, and, and while we were driving back, I asked a few of the ladies, I said, so what's it like? What's it like when you go through the pain of childbirth and then all of a sudden they lay that baby right there on your chest. I got some interesting answers. Uh, I got comments like, well, I completely forgot about the pain. I was in total relief. 
I was totally in awe. Joy like I had never had and felt before. One mom said, this was fascinating, she said, you know what, even as I'm talking about it right now, I can feel the joy of being there in that delivery room and having my child laying there for the very first time. This from a woman who almost bled to death when she had her child. The pain was instantly gone. Jesus would be dead, and the disciples will think that all of it, everything they had given their life for, they'd sacrificed for the time they put in. It was over. It was done. This whole thing had been some kind of screw-up that they didn't get. They'd been deceived. And then, there he was, alive, walking around, looking at them. And in that second, their grief, their lament was going to become joy. The kingdom of God. In verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. When he was dead and became alive, you try and think about what it was those disciples witnessed. The torture, the brutality of the cross. Their bleeding Savior hanging there. And it felt like a total defeat. But then, his resurrection. And then they had a sense that, wait a second. That means everything he said that seems so far out there is going to be true. And that all the bad stuff is going to be undone and it's going to be restored. There's a wonderful article that appeared in Christianity Today called, Blessed Are You Who Believed. It talks about the power of Christ's resurrection. It says, when the world seems a defeat for God and you are sick with the disorder, the violence, the terror, the war on the streets, when the earth seems to be in chaos, say to yourself, Jesus died and rose again on purpose to save. And his salvation is already with us. And then listen to this. Every departing missionary is an act of faith in the resurrection. And when you forgive your enemy, when you feed the hungry, when you defend the weak, it's because you believe in the resurrection. When you have the courage to marry, when you welcome the newly born child, when you build your home, you believe in the resurrection. When you wake at peace in the morning, when you sing to the rising sun, when you go to work with joy, you believe in the resurrection. That's a joy that outlasts all the sorrow that we have in this life. See, we're living in this weird place right now. So Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He died for our sins. And then he came alive. Then he rose up before their eyes, rose up to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And here you and I are waiting. And we're seeing everything that man described. We're seeing the war in the streets. We're seeing the terror. And we're waiting on this next moment for Christ to get here. But in the, middle, in the middle of that, we are to find joy in this in-between place in which we find ourselves. And I want to talk then about three necessities. These are all based on faith. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen to what I'm about to tell you. 
Because you will have to have faith in Christ if you to experience the joy that he wants us to have. The joy, by the way, is this deep abiding assurance that God is in fact sovereign over all the universe, over all of our circumstances. No matter how jacked up things seem like they are and perhaps are getting worse, God knows. God knows. Three necessities, three helpful truths for me if I'm facing uh, doubt and despair. Number one. Trust the disciples' experience. Trust the disciples' experience. And what I mean is their eyewitness testimony that they saw Jesus come out of the grave and was walking around. Jesus spent time with people, about 500 people, so they would know, look, I was dead, now I'm alive. Here I am. You can see me. You can talk to me. You can touch me. I'm going to eat with you. This is a real deal. And so excited were the apostles about this, John... The one who wrote the gospel reading now, he'd write three more letters. First John, he told the people, he told his audience, look, I saw these things. I heard these things. I, I experienced these things. And then he says in 1 John 1, 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Their joy would not be complete until they told you and I what it was they saw and heard. And now our joy can be complete. We've got to trust their experience, and these men are going to die to share the good news. Some of you may or may not know the name uh, Chuck Colson. He had a tremendous prison ministry. He was actually part of the Nixon administration. And Chuck Colson, he ended up going to prison because he participated in the Watergate scandal, the, the time when the, uh, the Republicans went and bugged the Democrats. I think I got that right. Bugged the Democrats' conference room. They wanted to know what they were up to. They got caught. And only two weeks after that, they started cracking. One of the guys named uh, Dean, he ended up becoming uh, a witness, went to the Department of Justice and said, look, I'm out of, I want to clear my, I don't want any prison time. I'm going to tell you what happened. And he did. And Colson, who went to prison over this, became a believer in prison, had a powerful ministry there. He said, when I'm challenged on the resurrection, my answer is always that the disciples... And 500 others gave eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus risen from the tomb. But then I'm asked, well, how do you know they were telling the truth? Maybe they were just per perpetrating a hoax. My answer to that question comes from an unlikely source. He said, Watergate. He said, Watergate involved a conspiracy by some of the most powerful men in the United States. He said it only took two weeks for the cover-up and the lie to just completely unravel. They informed others what happened. He said the fact is that all those around the president were facing embarrassment in prison. He said nobody's life was at stake. But he said, what about these disciples? He said 12 powerless men, peasants really, were facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beatings, stonings, execution, Every single one of the disciples insisted to their dying breaths that they had physically seen Jesus bodily raised from the dead. Don't you think that one of the apostles would have cracked before being beheaded or stoned? That one of them would have made a deal with the authorities? None did. Men will give their lives for something they believe to be true. They will never give their lives for something they know to be false. He said, I just have to look 
at my own experience. He said, I know from Watergate that had these guys thought this was a big sham, they would not have gone to the lengths they did to tell others about it. He said he lived through it. He said 2,000 years later, nothing less than the power of the risen Christ could inspire Christians around the world to remain faithful. And despite prison, torture, and death, Jesus is Lord. And that's the message. So we trust the testimony of the Bible, these faithful men who for their joy told us what had happened. And then secondly, trust the indwelling spirit. Trust the indwelling spirit. I talked about a week or so ago that the Holy Spirit is growing us. And as we grow in faith, none of us come to Jesus with perfect faith. We come with this tiny little mustard seed, not even that. Whatever the smallest measurement of faith is that saved us, that's what we have. And then we grow. We grow in our faith. And I believe as we grow in our faith, we are growing in our joy. We're trusting more and more. And we have the Spirit dwelling within us. You know, I was thinking this past week, I'd heard the story and I went and started snooping around a little bit. Uh, about the time Queen Elizabeth came and visited Sheridan, Wyoming. And uh, she, she actually came during hunting season. They, her security detail was a little concerned about that. Men's with guns in their gun racks and such and such. And the interesting line from the article was... Uh, do you think the, the security detail said, well, do you think you could delay hunting season? <laughs> yeah, we could. And the sheriff at the time said, well, if we do that, the queen may become the, the hunted, and we don't want that. So she came and she stayed at Canyon Ranch with the, with the Wallop family. And I started thinking about that, and I started thinking, what a, what a treat, I mean, what a treat, what an honor to have the queen staying with you for a few days. And, you know, you could talk to her. You go, well, what's this royal life thing all about and what it's like to have the queen staying with you, dwelling with you right there at your house? And then I thought, what a greater honor it is to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, growing me, not leaving me the way I was. And then me giving full credit to him for anything good that I would do or say, giving full credit to the Spirit residing in me. I said it before that I give myself way too, credit when it, way too much credit when it comes to my own spiritual growth. It is the Spirit in me that keeps me believing and trusting in Christ. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And you can trust that he's doing that for you. And that you can live with hope that he will not leave you where he found you. Yes, you're going to have harder circumstances in your life that you have than you know how to deal with, but that's okay. He's still there. He's indwelling. We have that joy and that honor. And then finally, we pray with joyful expectation. Pray with joyful expectation. Look at what Jesus says down in verse 24, chapter 16. He said, until now you've asked me, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. And, and he says again, if you ask in my name. That is, if you ask consistent with my will, that's not to say that God is the cosmic Santa Claus here to give you every single thing you ask for. Ask and you will receive when you ask in my name that is consistent with my will. That your joy may be full. So one of the keys to joy is prayer. And if you have what feels to you like a joyless life where you question the presence of God, my first question is, what well, do you have a prayerful life? You could ex expect to have less of a sense of God's presence if you are not praying to Him. And 
And I love this story. You may uh, know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. She was paralyzed in a diving accident when she was a, a teenager. She's written a lot of books, and she speaks a lot of conferences now. She describes a moment she had. She was at a, a Christian conference. She was in the restroom. She, there was all kinds of ladies in the restroom there with her. It's not a time when you want to be answering a bunch of questions, but they didn't seem to care. One of the ladies said, look, you always seem so happy and so joyful there in your wheelchair. And the other ladies heard this, and they were like, yeah, you do. They were like, well, how do you do that? And she responded. She said, I don't do it. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? She said, this is an average day. I breathe deeply. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work around 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get her up. She said, well, I listen to her make coffee. I pray, oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day. She said, but you do. May I have yours? God, I need you desperately. She goes on. So what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? One of them asked. She said this. She said, I turn my head toward her, and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. She said, it's not mine, it's God's. And so, she said, gesturing to her paralyzed legs, she said, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. We, as Christians, we have got to be very careful that we don't become disillusioned. We live not on a playground, but on a battleground. And if you think that the joy that God wants for us will be easily won, listen to the testimony of this woman. No, she doesn't feel good when she wakes up. And I can so relate. Oftentimes, I feel confounded by the world already before I've already opened, before I've even opened my eyes. But I, by the grace of God, I will say that I immediately start in the morning praying. I pray. I pray my way to the coffee pot. I hit the on button, and I go and I kneel and I pray some more. It's not always been that way. Honestly, it's only since times have gotten more challenging in my life that I've started a more fervent prayer life. Are you praying? That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. We can't get lazy in the discipline of prayer. If we want a joyful life. And on this side of the resurrection, with the power of the indwelling spirit, despite horrible circumstances, we can still find joy, find daily joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we know He's risen again, because we know He's risen again, the bad things are going to be undone. I wanted at the very beginning today, I said that uh, all of us, I would say everybody in this room has an irretrievable loss in their life, whatever that may be, a relationship, a loved one. And they believe they've permanently lost the joy of what could have been. But here's what Christ's resurrection offers. It's something unique. Because even religions that promise some kind of future bliss 
don't promise a restoration of what has been lost in the past. But the resurrection of Christ even promises the restoration of what you have lost. Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, you don't just get your body back. You get the body you always wanted, but you never had. You don't just get your life back. You get the life you always wanted that you never had. And Jesus Christ is walking proof you'll miss nothing. It's all coming in the future. It's going to be unimaginably wonderful. And there's no religion or philosophy or person that can offer this kind of future. And as Christians, our hope for the future is based on the historical fact of the resurrection. Can you believe that today? Do you believe that today? And if you haven't believed that, why in the world not? You know this is the kind of future that you want, and it can only happen through our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that we would all be honest with ourselves today, God, that that we have experienced sorrow and joylessness and loss. And Lord, it is joy that is that is hard won. It was won by you, Lord Jesus, through your resurrection. God, we can get so distracted by this world around us that constantly wants to tempt us and drag us down and try to find some artificial happiness through some other means. And it can only come through you. And God, I ask that we would daily start with joyful expectation in prayer, trusting the truth that you've given us through your word, through the testimony of the disciples and that growth would happen as we trust the Holy Spirit to do what he's promised to do, to help us in every time of need. And God, I pray for those here today who are really, really hurting and sorrowful, that they would recall the resurrection and live each moment of each day, not worried about tomorrow or regretting yesterday, with that truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.